Yeah, um, I mean, so the Eagle is such a good example of a system that is expertly interacting with very, very complicated flow fields. And, you know, they can glide on thermals and they can kind of almost collect the turbulence into vorticity on their wings. Um, I think there's a lot of things missing. So that, that's actually one of the reasons I joke around that I'm gonna keep showing that movie until we as engineers can do something similar. So in other words, basically for my whole career, I'm gonna be showing that movie. Um, so I think there's a, a few things missing. I mean, the Eagle has, we think, you know, a deep experience base uh, of flying and not just its own experience, but kind of the codified experience of its ancestors, right? Like there are generations of expert flyers who have kind of culminated into this, uh, into this flying creature. And if you just think of the learning times and the amount of data that an evolutionary timescale accounts for, you know, this still makes reinforcement learning look pretty, uh, pretty insignificant as, as we do it today. So I think that that's important for us to recognize that like kind of evolutionary systems and, and evolutionary timescales are, are pretty massive. Um, plus it's, it's not one eagle, one eagle's, you know, direct descendants. It's also the thousands and thousands of cousin eagles that, you know, maybe were not as good flyers or learn different, different things. Um, you know, this kind of ensemble learning. Also, I think that eagles and other biological systems have this incredible embodied sensing. So, um, you know, they have feathers and an incredible um, kind of inertial guidance system that I think, you know, goes pretty far beyond anything we can build today. And so in some sense, they have the hardware to feel their environment. And I think that you know, I always challenge my, my students and, and anyone who will listen that if you picture yourself as that eagle and you close your eyes, you can almost picture yourself flying and you can almost feel the turbulence on your wings. And I have all the confidence in the world that we could also learn pretty rapidly how to use that information and kind of fly or swim or move because that's something that biological systems do. We have, you know, distributed sensors and a body and that body becomes a part of, you know, of our mind. Like we embody our automobiles when we drive. It's um, very natural for us. It takes time to learn, but we're able to just completely make that an extension of our ourselves. And I, I think that's a pretty interesting thing that the biology does. Yeah, that's very interesting. First ask you about, in that case, about modeling, because you mentioned, for example, uh, what could be, interesting um, parameters in, in the designing or optimization when it comes to flow mechanics. And since you mentioned it's also highly uh, expensive in terms of computation simulation as well. So before going to other technique, but before that, what could be more interesting to you when it comes to figuring out that could be very critical in optimization? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. So I think that's an important idea that Oftentimes, the end goal of what we want to do with a fluid is relatively low dimensional. It's relatively simple. Maybe there's, so I always think about things in terms of dimensions and how big the numbers are, right? So the fluid itself might have millions, billions, trillions of degrees of freedom. But my eagle, you know, I, let's take me. I'm a very simple person. Maybe there's 10 things I care about at any given time. That's, and that's being pretty generous to me. You know, my, the dimension of the, the space I operate in is pretty low dimensional. And I assume that the Eagle is also pretty low dimensional 
Um, you know, it wants to maintain lift and drag and be able to turn efficiently. It wants to not hit itself on a rock. It wants to go get a lunch, you know, if it's hungry. So it's a pretty low dimensional control space. I mean, maybe that's an overestimation. I mean, it can move its, its arms pretty, mm -hmm. in a pretty high dimensional way. But the decisions it's making on a daily basis are low dimensional. And so I think what this means is that it doesn't need to care about all of those billions of degrees of freedom in the fluid. There are certain patterns, there are certain coherent structures that matter to its daily mm -hmm. life that it wants to exploit and characterize. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's actually um, kind of in my lab, we take this, this uh, kind of unified or holistic view that even in very complex systems, we believe that there are patterns in that data that matter to us, that matter for our high level control objective. Maybe that pattern for the eagle is a leading edge vortex that allows it to turn efficiently. Um, those patterns, the fact that there are maybe 10 or 20 patterns instead of a billion degrees of freedom, that means I can sense the system efficiently. I don't need a billion measurement probes. I might need 20 or 30. Maybe my feathers do a good enough job to tell me the information I need about those patterns. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the fact that there are those low dimensional patterns also means that instead of simulating this supercomputer full turbulent fluid, I just need to know how those patterns evolve in time, not even that well, pretty well. And then I can develop a control algorithm around it. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that, that's the strategy we take is it's all boils down to patterns existing in the data. And back to your earlier question, I think that really is kind of the, the unifying theme of physics and machine learning. Both of these operate on the assumption that even in very complex interaction physics, we get these emergent patterns. You get galaxies and solar systems and human beings and eagles, which are patterns. <laughs> um, and you know, all of machine learning also operates on this kind of idea of, of uh, if there weren't patterns in your data, we'd be hopeless, we'd mm -hmm. be sunk. But we know there are, so that's good. Yeah. Interesting, maybe I could ask you, is it maybe um, a dominant to have a pattern always in, in systems try to design maybe it's really try to design something maybe have never been existed in nature. What does the case like look like if you don't have a better in that case? That's a that's a really interesting question. Um, so we won't know what those patterns are. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I still fundamentally assume that there are going to be patterns. Like if if something is simple enough to control and to be useful, then it's going to be highly ordered and organized. So if we think about our machines, like, um, you know, we for, for, for millennia have been watching birds and eagles flying and we wanted to fly and we wanted to build machines that fly. So of course, Da Vinci developed, you know, flapping robots and, and invented some weird things that, that uh, animals don't do like helicopters and, and yeah. gyrocopters and things. If we look at our, you know, modern jet engines they look nothing like you know any biological system we've seen but the common pattern is that they're extremely ordered and organized and they take this you know complexity of the navier stokes and of turbulence and they kind of channel that into this ordered uh ordered pattern and so i think that's that's just a, a property of, of machines in general and of you know what are robots and humans and animals except you know very 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 complicated thinking machines